Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, know this, that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis, and the New Testament starts with Matthew, and Colossians is in the New Testament. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You'll keep going. Romans, keep going. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This was a letter that a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote now, it's interesting because most of the letters he wrote, he wrote to churches that he himself planted. But really, the church in Colossae, he did not plant. Somebody else planted, but Paul knew the person. And so he wrote this letter, and it has a lot of things in it that Ephesians covers. But he deals with family and part of it. And so, um, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill our lives. Teach and counsel each other. With all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate. Everybody say aggravate. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Now, right there where it says children always obey your parents, that's talking about a, sp a specific or particular season in their life. It doesn't mean when they're 20-some years old that they need to be doing what you say. Your world changes at that point. Somewhere in those lines, it changes. But when they're little, when they're younger, that yes, they should obey your voices. So it said, this pleases the Lord. Then it says, fathers, do not aggravate your children. Now, I don't know about you, but for most of my life, there's hardly ever been a time where I thought, man, I sure hope I'm not aggravating my kids. When they were little, there was a lot of times where I thought, man, they're aggravating the daylights out of me. Any parents can raise their hand and say that, that your, that your kids have aggravated you, but you probably have never thought about, I hope I'm not aggravating them. Matter of fact, I'm like, it probably serves them right if I aggravate them a little as much as they've aggravated me. But the scripture clearly tells us not to aggravate them. And one of the reasons why is because it says that it will discourage them. It'll discourage them. I want to read this. There's a, a New, New Testament translation called the Amplified Version, which kind of expounds on the words that are used. And it says this, Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or exasperate your children with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive nor by favoritism or indifference. Treat them tenderly with loving kindness so they will not lose heart and become discouraged or unmotivated with their spirits broken. So one of the things, you know, when we talk about parenting, let me just say this, that the two things that whenever I'm in a service that they begin to talk about marriage or parenting, my opportunity to be convicted really rises because I don't know of two areas that reveal how I need to grow more than those two areas. You know, it's like you know, that uh, when it comes to being married, that it's just in all of my life, if there's a person that's seen my immaturity, my insecurities more than my wife, I don't know who it is. And second to her is my kids. And so I just want to say this, uh, I don't know where your family's at right now, I, you know, but uh, you know, all of us have those moments where we weren't perfect or whatever, so in none of this do I want you to embrace shame you know, I, I just, I want to encourage and just kind of remind us what our role is and what God has given us to do. And I, I want you to be able to have, you know, this time of just embracing that, that, you know, that, I mean, receive the grace from God, the mercy of God. But right here, it tells us not to, not to aggravate our kids. And it says that they will become discouraged. So one of the things that one of the great callings that we have as parents is to be great encouragers in our children's lives. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't correct them. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be a voice in their life that provides truth and correction. But also to understand this, that one of the greatest things that you and I are given to do is to encourage our children. Years ago, I had this friend, and he had a great desire to ministry, had a call to ministry. And so he was struggling, though. I'd never seen a guy struggle with, with like lack of confidence and self-esteem more than this individual. And we were talking about different ways he could begin his ministry. And one of the things we even said was that, man, start a Bible study. Or, you know, that we even looked at the possibility, you know, that, that he could, uh, you know, he had some opportunities to go share at different places. And he said, well, I'm afraid if I go share that maybe I'll get lost on the way. And I won't make it in time. And then, you know, that I'll disappoint these people. I mean, he just thought of one reason after another. And I'm like, dude, you're way more organized than me. And if anybody was going to get lost on the way to a Bible study, it would be me. I mean, I've had events, you know, I had, I had, you know, I've had events this weekend where I thought, okay, that's today, and, and it was yesterday, and I've, I've had moments like that. I remember I went to one wedding, and, uh, the, you know, to this one place, and it was, I was in Inola, and nobody was there, and I called them up, and I said, nobody's here, and they go, that's because we're in prior, and I'm like, oh, no, so, I mean, I, I hopped in my car and, and drove on the way there, and, and I made it just in the nick of time just to say I do, and so, no, I didn't say I do, they said I do, but anyway, you know, that's why I'm, I'm confused, but anyway, so, so we have those moments, you know, this guy, he just, and I said, how did you get this way? And he said, well, my parents were so afraid that if they encouraged me or complimented me that I would get full of pride and that it would just get me in a bad place. Well, you know what? If that was their goal, they were successful because the guy had no pride at all. He had no confidence whatsoever. And I just want to say this to us as parents, that the truth of the matter is, is that you be their fan. You be the one that encourages them. Again, it doesn't, still, it doesn't mean that we don't correct them and that our kids are always right because they're not. But they need to have a voice that resonates with them that they know is for them. There's plenty of voices out there that will do the job of keeping them humble. That will do the job. I mean, there's plenty of people looking for the opportunity to bring your kid down. Don't you be one of them. You encourage them. You be for them. You let them know when they mess up that we still call failure failure. We still call wrong wrong. But in it, that we get, I know even when we, would, when we would correct our kids, that one of the things we wanted to do is that in the correcting, they remind them that we knew that they, that they could do better, that they were called for better. And so we wanted to be the voice of encouragement. I, I wrote down some things that could be a discourage, that can create discouragement in our kids. Number one is constantly making and breaking promises. Man, let's be true to what we say to them. Number two is disciplining for the wrong reasons. I know sometimes as a parent, especially in my younger years, uh, you know, when the kids were younger, were real little and that, that type of thing, sometimes I could be embarrassed and sometimes discipline out of embarrassment. It wasn't because I thought what they were doing was wrong was wrong. It was because I was embarrassed, and so I would discipline them. Or I'd wait till I got angry. Well, those things can create discouragement in our kids. You know, another thing is being inconsistent. Rules which change from day to day. Too much of our discipline rides on the wave of our emotions. The next thing is incessant nagging, you know, just constantly on them, critical of them. The next thing is constantly embarrassing them in front of their, their friends or in front of yours. The next one is not spending time with them and, and having fun together. I remember that one of the things that Tina and I did is we had the best snacks. And my wife's here this morning, and so she wasn't here in the first service, and I very boldly gave her a hard time. And so um, she's here. I'm going to give her a hard time again, so just remember me as you see me, Okay. To say, I remember before he did that that day. But, but <laughs> I love you, babe. Anyway, so, so she, she's really a good parent. But she was like, when she would go to the grocery store, she would think of health and bargain. So she'd come home with these cookies like broccoli swirl cookies. And I mean, and they would be like the cheapest cookies. 
You know, they would be very inexpensive, and they would last a long time. And you know why they lasted a long time? Because nobody liked them. And so the kids loved it whenever I, went, <laughs> whenever I went to the grocery store because I didn't get those cookies. I got the ones that are bad for you, that are full of gluten, lots of sugar, and stuff like that. And I used to say, you know, when I was younger, and sometimes they would do food drops in foreign lands, you'd see this food coming out of these helicopters, and these children would be running towards it. When I went grocery shopping, that's the way it looked at my house. When I pulled out, man, those kids were running out of the house. They were running towards the car, and they were grabbing stuff as I was walking in. I'm like, at least let me get it set down before you empty the bag. But one of the things that her and I, that, you know, we, we both loved our kids trying to do right, but one of the things that we, that we endeavored to do was to create an environment where their friends could come over. We knew they were going to be somewhere. We wanted to be at our somewhere, at our house. And so we knew if we did that, I mean, we couldn't give them free reign, but also we didn't want to embarrass them. Often if we had to correct them, we'd pull them aside if we could. Because we wanted, we wanted our home to be a place for them and their friends to feel safe, to feel comfortable. They gave us an opportunity for influence. And so we prepared for that and did that. And, and again, not that we were perfect, but it was just one of those things to us that was just a big deal to us. And so we didn't want to embarrass other friends. Another thing that can discourage them is not spending time with them and, and having fun together. Make time to, to make memories and to have fun. It was one of those things I enjoyed. The next thing is, you can't be one thing at home and another to the world. One reason why PKs, one of the reasons, I'll tell another one here in just a minute, but one of the reasons why PKs struggle is because their parents can be one thing at home and another thing out in front of everybody. And, you know, and again, there's nobody that sees your growth more than your spouse or your kids. And so preachers' kids, they know the difference between giftedness and godliness. Giftedness is what takes place on the platform, and godliness is what takes place at home. And so I'll say this. Our kids aren't perfect. By no means are they perfect, but they all three go to church. They all three serve God, and they're involved in what they do. And so the beautiful thing about it is that, is that they saw mine and Tina's imperfections. They saw the things we did, but there was something that made that connection there. So, so endeavor, you say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm not perfect. No, neither were we. Well, how do you fix that? You apologize really good. And not just apologizing just to get it off the play. Okay, well that, we got that check mark off. But apologize with the intention to change. And so do that. And so not spending time with them, just having fun together. Make, uh, and so the next thing is uh, being one thing I'm another in the world. And that's just asking the impossible. Don't expect a four-year-old act like a 10-year-old. That was another reason a lot of times why PKs struggle. And maybe your kids do. If you're in a position of influence or in a position that people have seen in public, a lot of times they'll put expectations on your kids. Let me tell you something. I don't care what you do. If your child is 10, guess how old they can be? 10. They can't be 15. They can't be 20. When they're 10, you want them to be 10. On the other hand, you don't want to make excuses for them when they're 5. You want to help them be that. And so... You know, I remember that uh, one time I was, uh, one of our kids, Daniel, had gotten into trouble, and, um, and so I, I, was, I was in the school, and the, the teachers knew me well by now, and one of the things they said was, they said, well, we knew, we told him, we said, we, you know, we know what your dad does, and, and he wouldn't want you doing this, and I said, I, I know you guys mean well, but let me just say this, please don't ever do that again with my kid, I, I don't want his expectation to be put upon what my profession or my calling is. Now, if you want to do that based upon who we are and the fact that we're Christians, that you're right, as Christians, this is not okay. But I never want them to feel the pressure because your dad's a pastor that you, there's expectations put on you that are not put on anybody else. You can put the same expectations on him that you would any other Christian. I'm good with that. It was just one of those things we purpose to do. I know one time that um, we got back, the kids got back from camp and uh, David, who's here this morning, you didn't think I was going to get to you, did you? Anyway, so um, 
that uh, he was, uh, the, one of the adults came up to us, and David was eight at the time, and they said, you know, hey, he was, he was like standing on a chair doing something like that, which, you know, that I said, and you know, we didn't want that, but I said, now let me ask you a question. Are you telling the parent of every eight-year-old that was here, are you going to go tell them that? And she kind of looked at me funny, and I said, because if you are, then thank you, I'm great, but if, if the only eight-year-old's parent you're telling is mine, because of what his dad does, don't ever do that again. And she kind of had the weirdest look on her face. Guess what? She never told me again. And I know him well enough to know that that wasn't the last time he was disobedient. And so, so you know, it's just, it's one of those things that we have to be that, you know, and, and again, now my kids knew this, that, that I wasn't looking to just kind of, you know, make it look like they looked okay. I mean, if, if, I, if I smelled an untruth or smelled a lie, we stayed on it until we got the truth out and, you know, and just what, and wanted to make sure that they owned what they did. But we have to put those, those things, we have to give them those things that according to their age or what our expectations are based on. Don't ask the impossible. The, um, and then another thing is don't show favoritism. And then lastly, nothing exasperates more than a parent who is not willing to say, I'm sorry, when appropriate. Let your kids learn how to apologize from you, to correct from you. So number one is this, is that be a voice of encouragement. Be a voice of encouragement. When, their kids, when your kids leave your house... Let it resonate in their heart that somebody believes in them, that somebody is for them, and that somebody is somebody that knows them better than everybody else, that has seen them in their failures and in their mistakes and in their shortcomings and in their insecurities, and yet that person loves them enough that they don't give them a pass on their mistakes, but they know that even with their mistakes, that God still has a plan and a purpose for them, and they're not limited by what they can do. They're limited by what he can do, and he's limitless, and so we have to be that voice that resonates. Let's go ahead and clap. So, be a voice of encouragement. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me to Psalms 90. Psalms 90, that's in the Old Testament. It's right before Proverbs and right after Job. Psalms 90, I think this is written by Moses. Psalms 90, verse 10. Now, you know, sometimes the Psalms are like supernatural journaling. That whoever was writing it, was, they were writing it God's position and what he's doing in their life at that time. And so you can see that it's really connected to something personally, but it speaks to us today, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 10, it says this. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the, the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend, with power, who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Then he says this, teach us. Everybody say, teach us. teach us. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. That means how brief life is. Teach us to realize how brief life is. So that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to realize how brief life is. So that we may grow in wisdom. So that we may grow in wisdom. You know, when your baby is first born, you have 900 and some weeks before they turn 18. And that can feel like so many, but you think about that, that it just disappears every week. I saw one, you know, one guy gave this, he gave this illustration of just having this 900 and some marbles that he put up. And he said, really service that every week to pull one of those marbles out and to watch that that just that those marbles get fewer and fewer in that glass and you realize by the time they get in ninth grade that they're down to around 200 of those and they get into 11th grade 
they're down, you know, to, uh, you know, to right around a hundred or less. And then when they get to 18, they've lost all, you've lost all your marbles. And so here's the thing, <laughs> is that, I, I don't know why you're laughing. I, anyway, so, um, but it just, it just goes. And, and here's the thing we have to understand, man, is that, is that our kids go through seasons, they go through seasons. The way we parent them when they're five years old is different than the way that we parent them when they're 15. When they're five, you can't parent them like they're 15. And when they're 15, you shouldn't parent them like they're five. And so those seasons change. And let me tell you something. Every season has its pain. And every season has its privilege. And every season has its purpose. And so many times in the pain of that season, we want to wish it away. And I can assure you as somebody that's seen that happen in his own life, that eventually you move out of that season and that pain is gone, but guess what goes with it? The privilege that came with that season. There was a time where my kids were too old to hold and to carry. You experience those things. But then there's also a privilege and a purpose in the season that they have now. And somewhere along the line, I transition from my voice being the voice of authority in their world to the voice of counsel, but also the voice of friendship. And so for each one of those things, we have to embrace the season that, that we're in and the season that we have. Here's the thing we need to know is that every week matters. But you can't do it all in a week. And again, I know we get to this point sometimes, man, so, so much. I, I, my parents were not perfect, but in my mind, they were great parents. And I remember as they got older, the one thing that they would deal with, they would speak out to me is regret. And from my heart, I'm like, I don't want you guys to have grit, man. I had a, I had a, I had a fairy tale life. You guys, you guys helped me in my world. I, I just was fortunate. I was blessed to have you. Sure, you were imperfect. But if you guys were perfect, you couldn't have stood me. I was really imperfect. And so I know how it is in parenting. As our kids get older, we, we can just deal with regret. And, and, but you need to have confidence in, in, that even in your brokenness that God trusted you with them. You're like, well, Pastor Rick, you know, you know, just in my immaturity, sometimes in my anger, I didn't handle things well. And, and we're kind of estranged right now. Well, man, don't underestimate the power of humility. Of just being able to say, I'm sorry. No defense. No deflection. It's on me. I'm sorry. And just see what God does as his presence shows up and begins to heal any wounds that are there. You know, every transition is painful. And the older we get and the older they get, the next season, the transition from that is more painful than the last. The pain doesn't diminish with the transition. It increases. That doesn't stay there once the transition is complete. Then you begin to enjoy the purpose and the privilege of that season. I remember when Tina and I, we'd only been married right at a year, and, and we had this little two-bedroom townhouse in Broken Arrow, a townhouse apartment. And um, we, were, we were loading up our U-Haul, and we were moving to Earl, Arkansas for our very first ministerial job. And my dad came over, and he helped us load up. And we were so excited, you know, I mean, it was one of those things that I'm grateful, I'm grateful for Tina for so many reasons, but it was a relationship that she had that helped us get connected with that job, and, 
And it was one of those things that a year earlier I would have thought, no way is this going to happen. So we were just so excited. And I remember finally we got everything loaded up. I hugged my parents and we took off. Man, we were ready to start that next season in our life, that next venture. This young couple just starting out. Later on, my dad told me that after he loaded up, that all the way back home from Broken Air back into Vertigris, he cried all the way home. And I mean, for us, we were kind of like, we had no idea. We are like, yes. And he's like, no. You know, that's how he felt. And a lot of times you don't realize that, you know, until I remember Ashley was the first one of our kids that got married. And, and sometimes I would want to just go up in her bedroom shortly after she got married and just kind of stand there in that room for just a minute and just realize that our house was just a little bit quieter. And sometimes I'd go up there and I'd have to wait because Tina was in the room, realizing that as well. And so you just realize that. It's just one of those things you work through. Now, our house has gotten noisier again because in that transition, we have grandkids that come along. And, man, we love those grandkids. They're so much fun. Now we get to love them. We get to play with them. They make our house noisy. And we get to give them back and wave as they go away. <laughs> it reminds me again of how good God is. And so, <laughs> I, you know, I tell them, like, I love the grandkids. I mean, I... I you know, I've kind of hung a re retired thing on my parenting thing, but the grandparent thing, I love that. So, but it is one of those things of just recognizing the season that your kid's in. And so we have to embrace that. We can't wish it away. You, you have to discover what is the purpose for this season. What is the privilege for this season? And the pain you're probably already aware of because it's the thing that you wish that you could get away with. And if you're not careful, it begins to make you wish that season away. It, it'll be gone. It'll be gone, and, and even though the pain's gone, you'll miss it because of the privilege that came with that season. But don't hang in grief in that too long or despair. There's privilege in the season that they're in now, and you're still a part of it. Embrace the season. Embrace every season. Enjoy it. The parts that you have to suffer through, suffer through. But let God use you in each one of those things, and don't look the other way. Don't disconnect. Engage. And so number two is recognize the season your child is in. Let's look at number three and we'll close with this. Go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, it's right after Psalms. Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says this, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Corrupt people walk a thorny, treacherous road. Everybody say road. Whoever values life will avoid it. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. In other words, direct them onto the path that corrupt people don't walk. Direct them onto the path that will cause them to stay away from the thorns and treachery of corruption. Now again, as they get older, they still have decisions to make and choices to make that, that the principle of free will cannot override the principle of instruction. Or the principle of instruction, I'm sorry, principle of instruction can't override the principle of free will. But our responsibility as parents is to direct them. And the implication here, listen to this. The implication when it, says, when it says this, it says direct your children on the right path. 
the, the person that is specifically talking to is you as the parent. The implication is, is that your voice is significant in their life. Your voice matters in their life. If you're taking notes, number three is this, is that you have the opportunity to influence your child more than anyone else. Now, there are all sorts of influences that they have. There's the influence of culture, and, and, and I, I, I'm not saying that's not insignificant. It is significant. There's the influence of their other relationships. That is certainly significant. When I did youth ministry, I used to tell students that the second most important decision they'll make is who they'll marry. But I even said this, that, that along with that are the people that they hang out with, that they have an influence on them. And so that that matters. But the most significant voice in their life uh, up until a certain point, as long as you claim and use it, the most significant voice in their life is yours. It's yours. Don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. Don't let him discourage you from being that voice. Now, the role of your voice changes. Whereas at one time it was the authority in their life, now it's the voice of counselor, the voice of friendship, the voice of helper in their life. And we should conduct ourselves in such a way that as they get older, when they find out that God loves them, that it's easy for them to believe because their parents love them. When they find out that God forgives them, that it's easy for them to believe because they've seen their parents forgive them. When they find out that it's easy to tell the truth and admit your mistakes, that they believe that that's the case because they've seen their parents admit their mistakes. And so we need to be that person. I purposed in my life that I didn't want my kids, when they wanted to know how a man is supposed to worship, I wanted them to be able to see me do it at church so that their role model for what church looks like and what worship looks like would have to come for another man. I was going to be there. I, I didn't want them to have to wonder, you know, for it to be hard for them to apologize because I wanted to be the voice in their world that would go to them and say, man, I'm really sorry. I remember years ago, we had just bought this new Suburban and we, you know, it was the nicest car we'd ever had. It was, it was almost as expensive as the first house we got. We're just so proud of it. And even though we weren't these people, we did what everybody else does. We promised ourselves that we would not eat or drink or do any kind of food in that new car. And we did pretty good until the second month. See how long we lasted? And I remember that, you know, Tina was doing something. And I said, I'm going to take the kids. We're going to go to McDonald's and get soft serve ice cream. Well, two reasons. Because I, I, uh, I love my wife and my kids. And also, we can't underestimate this. I love soft serve ice cream. And so, so she was doing something. And so I took the kids. And I remember that, that we're there. And we go through the drive-thru. And, and David, Daniel, and Ashley are with me. And so I give each one of them their ice cream. And I have mine. But because I'm a good husband and I love my wife, you know, and uh, I want her to be in a good mood, I got her soft serve ice cream too. And so, but here's what I did that was even so smart. I set it on the console of the, of the car. Not in the cup holder, on the console of the car. And so we're driving and we make it out of the parking lot. And when I turn right, this soft serve ice cream tips over and spills down in between the console and the seat. I was so angry. I did what every good parent would do. I looked at my eight-year-old son and I said, are you not going to help me at all? It was clearly his fault. I'm like, I'm having to do everything. I'm driving, I'm holding on to my own ice cream, making sure you guys are getting there safe, giving you guys your ice cream. You think the least you could do is grab a hold of your mother's ice cream. I'm telling her you spilled her ice cream. And he looks at me and his eyes get real big and moist and he goes, I'm sorry, Dad. Don't feel sorry for him. I was in trouble. I spilled her ice cream. I anybody say, oh, me. I don't know about you, but sometimes the Lord, he'll, 
<laughs> he'll speak sarcastically to me. I don't know if he does that to you. He goes, you're a great dad. And I knew he didn't mean it. You, you spilled that ice cream and you blamed it on your son. I'm like, oh, now you show up. <laughs> Where were you a minute ago when you should have said <laughs> And I looked at Daniel and I said, Daniel, I, I am so sorry. I, that was just dumb. I'm, I'm sorry. You didn't do anything wrong. That was all on me. I'm mad at myself. I should have been smarter, and I wasn't. And we, you know, I spilled ice cream, you know, and I just, um, your mom's going to want my ice cream now, and I, I don't want to give it to her. And, and so I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. And he, I never he looked at me and goes, and so I said, no, I said, so Daniel, I, I'm sorry. I was mad. I was mad at myself, and I, I took it out on you. And he looked at me and goes, that's okay, Dad. Sometimes I do that too. And I'm like, that's just the kind of conviction I need. Why don't you sit there and be quiet? But anyway, it was one of those things. Man, I was, I was so convicted. And we have those moments, right? But, but it's one of those memories that he and I can still share to this day and even laugh about it now because he got to see my insecurity and my immaturity show up. But it wasn't a moment that wrecked our relationship because God challenged me to humble myself. And it was a lesson and a memory now that we have. Every broken moment doesn't have to result in a wound. If you'll humble yourself, some of them can result in a memory. And so we have the opportunity to do that. Your voice matters. It's significant in your kids' lives. Number three is this, is that you have the opportunity to influence your child more than anyone else. Don't shrink back from it. Don't let culture tell you they don't matter. Don't let your own thoughts and your mistakes say that you forfeited that. You show up everywhere you go in that relationship. Don't just bring truth with you. You bring love with you. And mercy. And a heart that sees something in them that God has for them. I want us to do this. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute and just spend a moment with God. And I want you, if you have kids, I want you to pray for your kids. And if you don't have kids and there are people in your life, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a friend, pray for the kids that you see. Whatever role God has given you in their life, ask Him to help you. And then ask, then pray for yourself. Ask God to help you. For any of you that are transitioning, and maybe it's one of those hard transitions, ask for God's help. There's an element of grieving in it. There are elements of your life that you, that in a sense, you say bye to, but that's the process of life. But know this, there's elements of your life that you're getting ready to meet that are just as sweet, just as beautiful, just, just as powerful as the things that you're saying goodbye to. Let's just spend a moment with God. for the students that are transitioning they're going into just a new season of their life and Father just 
Let the truths that have been planted in them anchor them. That through the questions that they'll hear the voice of truth that will speak back to them in these moments. And I pray for their parents that that as they as they continue to journey with their children, even in the different season, even in the different role, even in the different responsibility, they stay engaged. And so I, I pray for that now, Lord. I pray for each parent in here that they would receive the mercy of God, the goodness of God, and the forgiveness of God. And for any ear they've blown it in, and they would offer humility any place in relationships that need to be healed or restored. It's so incredibly powerful and beautiful what your presence does in the presence of humility. And so we, off, we operate in that. We ask for your help in that, Lord. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would encounter you at this moment. Before we go with heads bowed and eyes closed, man, if you're here today, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and you want to do that today, I, I want to pray for you. You know, to receive him as your Lord as you recognize what he's done for you, that he died on the cross for us, for me and you. Took our sins, mine and yours, upon him. And the judgment of that. And then he was raised from the dead so that we could be forgiven and, and become new creatures and, and walk forgiven, our innocence restored by him. So if you've never done that, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, made Him Lord of your life, if you want to do that, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here and you say, Rick, I've already done that, but honestly, man, I'm not where I used to be or where I need to be. Can I get back to that place? And the answer to that question is yes, you can. You say, well, how do you know? Because I've been you, man. I've gotten off track before too. I know what that's like. So if that's you, if you want to recommit your life today, I want to pray for you. And then lastly, if you're here and you say, you know, sometimes I struggle with, am I really saved? And I wish I could be certain. Well, I get that. But I believe you can leave here knowing that you're His. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, for any one of those three things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, or to recommit your life to Him, or just to leave here with the confidence knowing that you're His, if that's you on any one of those three things, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just so I know who I'm praying for, just so I know I'm praying for, if that's you, would you just raise your hand for just a moment? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, anybody else want to join these? Thank you, yeah. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? That's awesome that you guys are responding to God dealing with you. Thank you. I see that. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray for each person that's raised their hand. And Lord, you love them. You're here with them not because you want to introduce them to a religion, but because you want a relationship with them. You want them to experience you as their father. And for them to walk as your child. So, Father, if this is their very first time, I pray that they would become a new creature in Christ, that old things would pass away and all things would become new. And, Father, if they're recommitting their life, I pray that you'll restore the joy of their salvation, that they'll leave here reconnected to the plans and purposes of God and forgiven, free of shame, 
no guilt, no condemnation. And lastly, Father, for any of those that struggle with, am I really saved? That they would leave here today knowing they're yours, not because they feel like it, because some days I don't feel like it. And not because they always act like it, because you know I don't always act like it. But they'd leave here knowing they're yours because you said whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. And their confidence is not in how good they feel or how good they are. Their confidence is in what Jesus has done for each one of us and what you promised. And that's enough. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now look, man, I prayed for you and that's good, but because again, God wants, he wants a relationship with you. So if you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer, not where you're talking to me, but where you're talking to him. But I want you to be able to boldly declare it so you hear yourself saying this, you know, talking to the Father. And because we're for you and you're not in this alone, I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat after me. But if you raise your hand, you make this yours. Let's all say this, say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I surrender my will to your will. I receive you as my Savior now. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven. I call upon you now and ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And I thank you for forgiving me and saving me and loving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name.